0: All right, well, good morning and happy Easter, Anthem Church. Thank you for joining us online. My name is Stan Hayek, one of the pastors here on staff. And so glad you guys are celebrating with us Easter morning. And so Lent has come to a close. And I I know a number of people have been fasting throughout Lent, but I don't know if anybody intended to give up quite this much due to COVID-19. Man, I'm really looking forward to this thing being over so we can just shower again. That's not a thing, apparently. So, got my afternoon planned. Uh, No, we didn't have to give up quite that much, but we've given up some things, and and one of those things is right now is is meeting together. And so, man, we would love to be together, but more than that desire to be together, we want to love our neighbors, and the best thing we can do in this time, as we're told, is to help flatten the curve and slow the spread. And so, uh, we're able to meet online, and so we're grateful for technology and the ability to do that. And so, if you're part of that Anthem family that is used to coming here on a Sunday morning, just know that genuinely I miss you guys uh, and can't wait to the day when we can get back together. And if you're part of the, the family, friends, neighbors, those that have been invited by somebody who's a part of our church, just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you guys are here this morning. In fact, the fact that we have to do this online enables some of you from a distance to be a part of this where you otherwise wouldn't be able to. And so. We are glad you are here. We want you to feel welcome. And if you, for some reason, like get kicked out, just know it's probably the internet. It's not us. Okay. We want you here. We're glad you're here. And so thank you for being with us this morning. Kind of jokes aside, COVID-19 really has altered a lot about our daily routines. I'm not asking whether you agree with the steps or not. I'm just saying, just acknowledging it has altered how we go about our life. In fact, Businesses that we love perhaps are being forced to close down. People we know are out of jobs or reduced hours. Schools have gone entirely online. And that's not to mention people that are actually being infected by the virus. Man, we do not even know at this point the actual end date to this thing. And the economic effects are incalculable. But I one silver lining in this Is I do think we enter the Easter season, this season in 2020, with a greater level of sobriety. What I mean by that is there's a greater recognition that our world is broken. And there's a longing I think we have this year more than ever before, perhaps. A longing for things to be made right again. And because of what happened Easter Sunday, nearly 2,000 years ago, when Jesus burst forth from the tomb... And gloriously resurrected, it gives us hope and purpose. And that's what we're going to look at today in our narrative from Matthew 28. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to have some of this on the screen as well. Matthew 28. And just to set the context for Easter Sunday, you got to go back a little ways. And let's just go back to to Good Friday. This is where the leaders, the religious leaders, conspired against Jesus to have him crucified See, the religion was at stake because Jesus in his life and ministry was preaching relationship with God. But they wanted to safeguard their religion. And because of that, they conspired to kill him. And they rounded up a crowd and they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And the crowd mocked him. And as Matt so eloquently put it on Friday, when the world screamed, come down, he was strung up. And when they cried, save yourself, he died to save us. And then they place him in the tomb, and it's quiet. <laughs> that is until we get to this narrative, okay? <laughs> now, after the Sabbath, now, you to understand, okay, so Friday is when that happened. Traditionally, for the, those in, in the Jewish faith, the Sabbath was on Saturday. So after Saturday, that is Sunday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, Uh, Matthew 28 verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Okay, time out. So Jesus was crucified on a Friday, body placed in the tomb, it was sealed, it was guarded, no working on Saturday, and so at the first possible chance that these women can get. They want to go to the tomb. And in John 20, we learn that they are going while it's still dark out. And these women wanted to get there as soon as possible to pay the respects. In Mark 16, we see that they're coming and they're bringing spices so they might go ahead and anoint him in his body. It's something that is done for those who are dead to kind of help curb the smell and and pay respect. And as they're walking as it's still dark and it's, the sun is starting to come up, as they're walking, the earth just begins to quake. And an angel descends down from heaven, rolls back the stone and sits on top of it. And it says in verse 3, His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. okay. We have to study this out. This is fun. So the guards, it's the Jewish religious leaders. They're the ones who were able to get Jesus crucified, but they did not have the authority because at this point, they're conquered people under Roman rule. And so the guard here that is guarding the tomb is a Roman guard, likely a 16-man unit. And there's no way of knowing, but I wonder, I wonder if some of these guards who have been appointed to guard the tomb Perhaps some of those who were at the crucifixion of, Je- crucifixion of Jesus three days ago, perhaps some of these are the same guards who struck him, who spit on him. I just wonder if any of these were the ones that actually pierced his hands and his feet with the nails. We don't know. But, but the, by now we know this. They had heard the story as they are perhaps posted on the most unusual assignment of their life to guard the tomb of a dead person. Now, this guard would have been governed by a very strict set of rules. Again, this is the Roman Empire. These are some elite warriors. They've seen some things. And it's each one of these guys of the 16-man unit would have been responsible for about six square feet of space. The guard members, they couldn't sit down or lean against anything while they were on duty. And if one of the guard members fell asleep, not only were they executed for that, but the whole group would be held accountable and executed for such an atrocity. These were, these were the cream of the crop. They were the best of the best guards. And, and here we see them appointed because the religious leaders wanted them there because they wanted Jesus dead and they wanted him to stay dead. And we saw earlier, the chapter earlier, Pilate said, okay, you can have a guard make it as secure as you can. And so we see in verse 3 that at the sight of one angel descending from heaven and rolling back the stone they all tremble and pass out. Again, remember these guys had seen some things, but I I it's humorous to me. It'd be as if you're going to the doctor's office to get a shot and they take the, the alcohol swab and they rub it on your shoulder and you just pass out then. It's a little premature, right? The real, the real thing is still coming. And here's what I mean is the majesty of one singular angel sent by God. is Such a tiny preview of what one day we'll behold in the full glory of God. I mean, they didn't even see Jesus come out yet, but just the angel just knocked him out as if they were dead. Man, it, it reminds me of that tune, like, I can only imagine. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's just, what is it going to be like on that day if an angel can knock out 16 guards? You would explode to behold the glory of God, okay? Can we agree to that? These guys can't comprehend. And I'm amused by the scene. I, I, this is perhaps uh, over-imagination, but I really want to meet this angel. Because here he is, comes down, rolls back the stone, and just proceeds to sit on it, as these guys are just passed out. <laughs> Love it. And so the guards, I don't know if they're still passed out on the ground or if they had woken and kind of run off to this point, like, oh, yep, angel's still there, and they run back into town. But whatever it is, we see the ladies, they're coming up with spices in hand because they expected to see a dead, decaying body, but instead they found an empty tomb. And an angel proclaiming, He has risen. We see in verse 5 that the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Ironically, the ladies, they don't faint. And they're conversing with this heavenly being. He acts like, let's take a tomb to her. You want to go see? I know where you're looking for. He ain't here. He's risen. Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says this of God's people. It says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Man, if God is for you, who can stand against you? And what the guards could not withstand, these women get to converse with and interact. And the angel says, he's risen. He said, go and and tell the disciples he's risen. I'm going to meet with them later. He's not only risen, but we're going to hang out. Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, what is happening here, the resurrection, is of first importance, he says in verse 3 that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, says that if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. What he's saying is if if Jesus stayed dead, then we're all going to stay dead as well. There's no life after life. But the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead assures us that there is life after life starting with him and available to us. And so because of the resurrection, we can have hope, not only in this life, but in the one that's to come. Now, I can't hear you at home, but but you kids and, and you parents watching along, can you just say the word hope? Hope. That's what we have See, greater than the problem in the pandemic of COVID-19 is the problem of sin. It's why our bodies are weak and break down in the first place. It's because of the curse of sin that there is pain and there is suffering. It's why there's pains during childbearing. It's because of sin that there's thorns and thistles when it comes to our work. And it's because of sin ultimately... That all mankind will die. It's not a matter of if, but when, because of sin. See, if it weren't for sin, we'd still be in the garden. And if it weren't for Jesus, we'd stay in the grave. There is hope specifically for those who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. This hope heaven, It is a gift made possible by Jesus in his resurrection. Before this, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. See, it's not by works that we get to go to heaven. It's not like we can obtain this. Y'all, the only thing we bring to our salvation is, is the sin that made our saving necessary in the first place. It's not by works. It's a gift that must be received. And I would just ask you, if you were watching this this morning, have you received the gift of forgiveness? Have you received that gift? Because you know the sin that is in your life. As I reflect on mine, it is certainly not perfect. And some of those watching, my high school friends, you could testify that I'm not without sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is true. So does that mean all people are going to go to hell? No. What does he say here is that there's this gift. That there's a gift of Jesus. And because of our sin, I deserve what Jesus took on Friday. Because of our sin, we deserve eternal punishment to be separated from God. That's what we deserve because of sin, but because of Jesus, we can be united with Him. He paid the cost. If we would acknowledge our sin and humbly ask God to forgive us, He will grant it. My question is if you're watching this, you know the things in your past, perhaps even in your present this morning. Have you ever asked God to forgive you, to acknowledge there's a reason that Jesus had to die, that it was our sin that put him there. And if we are united with Him in that and recognizing that He died for our sins, we'll be united with Him in His resurrection, and we can have hope in the life after life, and that if we have him here, on earth we'll have him forever in eternity. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and let him be Savior and Lord, I would want to invite you to do that. Now, you got to understand that, that on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, Satan is furious. Those religious leaders, they got to be furious as to what has happened here. And they're going to try and steal and suppress the hope we see in the narrative as it continues. Look at the religious leaders, their response to this amazing thing that happened. See, while they were going, behold, some of the guard, in verse 11, went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And what they had, when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they're talking this over, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people, the disciples came by night and stole them away while you were sleeping. And if this comes back to the governor's ears, that is your boss, hey, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So, soldiers took the money and did as they were directed. And they, this story has been spread amongst the Jews to that day. It was of utmost importance that the religious leaders that wanted Jesus dead try and silence what took place. I Man, Satan would want not want people to know about what it took place because if, if Jesus stayed dead, if that's true, Paul would tell it, again the Corinthians, he'd say, then we're misrepresenting God. God is a liar, Jesus is a liar because he said he's gonna resurrect. And so if he didn't actually do what he said, he's a liar and he's not who he said he was. I and mean, there's a lot at stake. And these religious leaders want to maintain that Jesus didn't actually resurrect. And so, again, you see in the narrative, like, here, here's a bunch of money. I love how It's a sufficient sum of money to pay off these soldiers. And the story they go with, again, desperate times call for desperate measures. The story they go with is saying, hey, soldiers, tell everybody that those those 11 cowardly guys in the garden who all ran at the first sight of trouble, who were led by the one who denied him three times, those cowardly guys, let's just tell everybody that they came back and somehow you guys were all sleeping, all 16 of you, which one of you, all of you would deserve to die, but all 16 of you fell asleep, those scaredy cats rolled back the stone and stole the body. (laughs) I imagine the guards had to be like, Are people actually going to believe this? What's our other option? Like the tomb is empty. We've got to do something. I don't think they accounted for, though, that not only was the tomb empty, Jesus was alive and walking around. He's going to appear to more than 500 others as a witness to the resurrection, that there is life after life. And as much as Satan and others would want to suppress the hope, we have the same way that Jesus burst forth from the tomb, so ought our hope also burst forth from us. See, the enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold him down. That's why we sing, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Christian, I would just say to you, if you trust Jesus, you need not lose hope, even in the face of death. For Christ put death to death. Now I'm going to use Uh, an an illustration, a quote from an old-timey guy, and so you got to bear with the language a little bit, but I love the picture here. Martin Day, hopefully it's on your screen, used this illustration. Boys, when they see a bear, a lion, or a wolf dead in the streets, you think about the most ferocious creatures, a bear, a lion, a wolf dead in the streets, they will pull their hair, insult over them, and deal with them as they please. They will trample upon their dead bodies and do unto them, being dead, which they durst not in the least venture while they are alive. Is death a furious beast, a ramping lion, a devouring wolf, a hellish generous humani that is an eater of mankind is death. Yet Christ has laid him at his length, hath been death of death, so that God's children have played upon him, scorned and derided him, by faith they had in the life of Christ, who hath subdued him. What he's saying is is Jesus, Jesus put death to death. It's, it's no longer a thing. We, we don't stay dead. In fact, it's not a very accurate phrase. That's why I much prefer, hey, someone has passed away, meaning they're, they're passing from this life to the next. We know that because of Jesus, there is life after life. A question is just where are you going to spend eternity? And for those who trust Jesus, It will be spent with him. And so, Christian, when it comes to death, you need not be afraid. I understand we are in a global pandemic, but you need to keep your head, Christian. Rest assured, you will not die a split second sooner than when God intends you to. God is sovereign and on the throne, and that's what Matt in our teacher's meeting said it like this. He said, Jesus didn't save us from the greater pandemic of sin and death only to abandon us to the pandemic of COVID-19. What was accomplished by the resurrection is far greater than overcoming this virus. So what I mean is you need not be afraid. You need not live in fear if your trust is in Jesus. And so if you're sitting on a, a mountain of toilet paper and you've let fear grip your heart and perhaps your children's heart, and there's a fear in your household, Perhaps the the greatest thing. What if what if this is the end of us? Just if you're if you trust Jesus in the resurrection, there is no end. You're just going to go on living somewhere else. And if you've been living in fear, it is not fitting for those who trust in the resurrection. And I would just call you repent. Make some friends with that toilet paper. Love your neighbors. But repent, turn from that way of thinking and that way of living. For Christ put death to death. And as the illustration, we can laugh at the days to come. Knowing anything that Satan would kind of put us through, at best, is temporary. Because Jesus is coming back. Once and for all. And so the resurrection, it gives us hope. And not only does it give us hope in life after life, it gives us purpose for this life. See, we're not just saved from something, that being sin and death, but we're saved for something, purpose, in this life. When we look at the narrative, this is the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples... Went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end. Of the age. Jesus starts this by saying, All authority is mine. I am commissioning you. And what does he commission them to do here? The emphasis isn't on go, but it's on make disciples. And he's giving this to the disciples. So if you want to understand what he means, he's saying, As you guys follow me, as you guys trust me, go make more of you. Go make more disciples of mine, people that would follow me. And he commissions them this life of purpose. Well, who should we tell about you? All nations. (laughs) Everyone. If you just look at it now, all nations for us would mean 16,000 different ethnic groups. Make sure they all hear about me and they become disciples of me, Jesus would say. And he says, oh, and baptize them. See, we hear make disciples and sometimes in Christian subculture, we think, oh, you take somebody who trusts Jesus and you're just helping them become more mature mature in that. But what we see here is baptism implies that they're going to help people die to one way of living for themselves and live for Jesus, that they would Identify with Jesus' death and his resurrection for the first time and display that by getting baptized. Saying, Help the nations do that. And he says, Teach them. Oh, yeah, I can, I can tell people what to do. No, no, no. He says, The kind of teaching that would implore them to actually respond, the kind of teaching in a way that makes them want to observe all that I've commanded the teaching that actually transforms, help them receive transformation, that they would do all these things I've commanded. Okay, so we got a pretty lofty commission here. Who's up for the task? 11 guys that deserted him the night he was betrayed. Chief leader Peter, again, who denied him three times before the rooster crowed. Thomas, who days before this, Heard about the resurrection. He said, unless I put my, my hands in his hands, and unless I put my hand in his side where he was pierced, I'm not going to believe him. He's commissioning guys <laughs> who had already seen him resurrected. He, he said, go be fishers of men who actually went back to fishing for fish. He is commissioning them even as we saw as this, this starts in verse 17 some that are worshiping, but yet some are doubted. Yet, nonetheless, he commissions them all the same. And perhaps you can resonate with, with some of these guys where it's like, Lord, I want you to save me. I want heaven. But in terms of having you like be Lord of my life and, and fulfilling this purpose, I feel overwhelmed. And if you feel overwhelmed by the commission there, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them? You should. (laughs) Like, you should absolutely feel overwhelmed by the purpose that God has before you. And in fact, if you don't feel overwhelmed, I'm concerned. (laughs) This commission is well beyond yours and my pay grade. If it were up to us alone to see this through no but don't miss the promises of jesus that bookend this see he starts with all authority in heaven and earth is mine has been given to me therefore in light of who i am you're going to go do these things and then he ends it with this promise hey and i am with you always to the very end of age Fulfilling this purpose that God has set forth is completely dependent on the power and authority of Jesus Christ, not on our ability. And that ought to be comforting. In the same way, the best illustration I come up with is as a dad, do what all good dads do. I let my kids drive. And if you don't know this, my kids are small. And so let me explain before anybody freaks out, okay, when I say drive, I, I, what I mean by that is, uh, is I'll call them up into the truck and I say, hey, do you want to drive dad's truck? I think of Danica. She's nine years old. <laughs> Again, hear it out. We're not talking drive in the interstate. What I'm talking about is like drive around in the field at the farm or drive around in the driveway. What that means is I'm sitting in the driver's seat. I'm running the pedals, and they're going to come sit on my lap and put their little hands up on the wheel and do this. That's what I mean by drive, right? And can you imagine if my daughter hears that, like, oh, you want to you drive with Dad? I don't know. I don't know if I'm strong enough to turn the wheel, and, and I don't know if I know how to, and what if I crash. And uh, uh. Do you forget whose lap you're sitting on? Do you forget who has a vested interest in the truck you're driving, right? (laughs) Christian, I just want us to, to, when we come to this promise, not forget who's giving it, who's bookending this, who promises the power is his. He's the one turning us loose to live a life of purpose that's without fear. Man, quick to acknowledge Jesus for our sin and salvation, and we ought to be quick to acknowledge him and the power that he would offer for fulfilling the purpose that he would have. And I just want to beg you with this to surrender your life to him because I really do believe when Jesus uses ordinary people like you and I when he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, it's truly to his glory and our joy. That's why he uses, he didn't go grab the best warrior to fight Goliath. I'll take that boy in a slingshot. To God be the glory who won that battle. It's why, oh, Gideon, you got a big army? Now We need to cut this thing down. To God be the glory and us be the joy when he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And he's saying to us, I believe, like me, to my daughters, come on up. Come on up, join in on this life of purpose. You're invited. So you've got to understand that the level of thought and care that God put into saving us, the price that was paid, he didn't just save us, from something, but he saved us for something. Ephesians 2 would say it like this. It's not that we're saved by works, no. But because that we are saved, we can now get to work. That God has gone so far as to prepare good works in advance so that we should walk in them. He's laid out purpose for us. I believe for some of us, that means we have neighbors to check in on family to call, friends to call. Perhaps this is the time that your family ought to be thinking about foster care or adoption. Perhaps God would be calling you to venture out into something new. Here's the promise from Scripture, though. I don't know what he has for each one of us, only that I know he has something for each one of us. That's the promise that he has prepared good works for us to walk in. And I really believe it is worth searching those out because when we do that, it is to God's glory and our joy. First things first though. Some of you can't start walking with Jesus and still, until you start a relationship with him. That's the first thing. If you're watching this, don't try and Take off in relationship with him. If you haven't first asked for forgiveness, acknowledge the brokenness that you've caused by your sin, I would just invite you today to start a relationship with him, perhaps recommit to him. And I would love, you can find me on social media, and you can message me, you can call our office. We wouldn't want you to do that alone. Fill out the connect card. By starting a relationship with him, you'd be entering into a church family that would want to do this with you. And again, in fulfillment of that great commission, it, starting a relationship is a part of that, but, but wanting to come alongside and teach you to obey all that's command, But it starts by first asking to have a relationship with God, acknowledging your sin, and inviting Jesus into your life. And if you're one of those who profess Jesus, and you have a relationship with him, then by all means, rejoice. As the angel declared some 2,000 years ago, he has risen, to which we say, he has risen indeed. And in light of the resurrection, we have purpose and hope that come from that. I want to pray as the band comes up. Jesus, we thank you for all that was accomplished, which my head is still trying to comprehend, all that was accomplished by the resurrection, by you defeating sin, that we're not only forgiven, but you've made a way for life after life and to spend eternity with him. And apart from you defeating death, that wouldn't be the case. But since you have God, just we thank you that we need not be Afraid of death as much as we'd be afraid of a dead lion or wolf or a bear. It's been put to death. And so, God, thank you that we can rejoice in the days to come. We can rejoice, I think as a pastor friend of mine, Mark Aaron said, that we can rejoice that if, if we have you, God, we just recognize that for those that believe this is the closest to hell we'll ever get, And, Lord, just pray for those that don't know you yet and the reality that this is the closest to heaven they'll ever have apart from you, Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would do a good work in us first and foremost today and you would do a work around the world with the sobriety that is before you. And so, God, we do pray that you would use this pandemic as you use all things To bring glory to your name. So we pray that in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Savior. God's people said, amen.